Hey guys, welcome to Calvary HSM. We are a place where we want to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. So we hope you enjoy this podcast. Guys, uh, welcome to uh, high school ministry service at the 11 a.m. If you're meeting for the first time, my name is Aaron Kajumba. I serve here as a high school pastor. And we exist as HSM to create disciples, to encourage, to equip disciples who live and love like Jesus. And that's why we're here uh, morning, noon, night, and day. That's where we live, breathe Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're about here. And we've been going through a series called Rhythms. And so we have been looking at these, these rhythms for Christian day-to-day life, uh, for us to be able to walk with the Lord daily. I've uh, talked about prayer. We've talked about what it means to go out to serve, what it means for us to have a relationship with our word, what it means to be in community. And today we're talking specifically about the power of false religion, how sometimes after uh, having all this information the Bible says that knowledge puffs up. And so this is a warning against us, a cautionary tale, as we go through uh, the text this morning from John chapter 5. Even reading with us uh, a few weeks ago, we actually ended our 21 days in John on uh, Monday last week. But in John chapter 5, we're going to be highlighting a man who was healed at the pool of Bethesda and what Jesus actually was trying to do in, in healing him on the Sabbath day. Day. And so, allow me to pray real quick, and we'll jump to our text. John chapter 5, we're going to be today. Just let me pray. Just kidding. Here we go. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, the, the opportunity to just worship over this text, or God, to look at your truth, Lord, and to remind us, Lord, that uh, you want to worship uh, people, you know, us to worship you in spirit and in truth, not to be cut up in uh, the form or the day or the way, Lord God, but to really worship you for who you are, Lord God. So we thank you. We praise you for this time. And just me pray. Everybody said, Amen. 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 Now, if you guys have read John uh, 21 chapters, amazing book, you've not read it, please go grab a Bible from that shelf. Take it home, our gift from us to you. If not, you also uh, can look up on uh, the Bible app or the internet if you have a smartphone or uh, any smart device, John chapter uh, 5. And where we are going today is talking about how Jesus himself is God and he's the Lord of the Sabbath. See, the point of the book of John comes in John 20, 31, right? If you're wondering, what, what's the point of this book? The point of the book of John is in John 20, 31, and it says this. But these, talking about the scriptures, are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. The whole purpose of the book of John is to prove to us, to convince us, to make evidence that Jesus is God. And him being God means he has rule over everything. And he sets the standards for life and godliness. He sets the standards for what it means to be good, what it means to be holy, what it means to have success, wholeness, like everything. Peace is set by him as a standard. And today as we go through this text, we're going to see three people. We're going to see, the, we're going to see Jesus' compassion. We're going to see uh, the Jews and, and how they hated uh, Jesus. And when I say the word Jews, if you read the, the, the scriptures anywhere, you'll find the word Jews is, is literally written not to speak of the general group, right? Not the people of Israel, but used to speak of the religious people, right? So just that's like Bible trivia. If you look at it, like when you see the word Jews in the New Testament, usually it's used to highlight the religious people who were against Jesus. And then the last thing we'll say is 
we'll see the complacency, the, the comfortability, the security of man and how we can get comfortable. And what we're talking about today really is this. We're howling that we don't want to be a people who get comfortable or complacent in our faith and then focus on ourselves and not the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 1, John chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. Afterward, we're afterward, after what? After when? What, is, what was happening here? Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holidays. Just, this guy, Jesus, came from Samaria. He's been doing all these, these amaz- amazing uh, miracles, and he went to Samaria, met this woman at the well, briefly talked about her last week, and how he talked about how we are to worship God in spirit and in truth, and then he comes back to uh, to Jerusalem, and he comes to Jerusalem, and he has this conversation with, uh, he, with this man at the pool of Bethesda. So he comes back, right, during the Jewish holy days. And this is a, a, a key thing to note. It's not just a random day. He comes back specifically for the Jewish holy days. It says uh, in John 7, 25, uh, really, when you think about, like, what's happening here in context, John 7, 25 says that some people who lived in Jerusalem started to ask each other, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? This is a time, Jesus is coming back to a place where people are not for him, they're not in his favor, but in fact, they want to actively kill him. He comes back for a feast. He comes back for this feast called the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, he comes back for for this feast, and in this feast time, all these Jews would come back to worship, worship the Lord. And it says in Deuteronomy 16, 16, highlighting these feasts, that every man, every year, uh, every man in Israel must celebrate these three festivals. One of them was the Feast of Unleavened Bed, the Feast of Harvest, and the Festival of Shelters or Booths. And it says on all these occasions, all these men are required to show up. Now, if Jesus is God and he doesn't have to be tied by religious form or something, why is he coming back to Jerusalem? Well, we know that Jesus himself, even though he is God, is obedient to the word of God. Like he's also submitted, submitted to it. And so it says in Matthew 5, 17, that he comes back because he comes not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, to be the fulfillment of it. So he comes back as a matter of obedience. And again, we said it's a dangerous time. In fact, we find out that in Matthew, that we read that Matthew had documents that Jesus had come back after a season where he had gone into the temple and he'd thrown the money changers, like money and goods and like animals everywhere. Like when you ask, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would also like do stuff like that. Like this is what's happening. Like this is what's happening right here. His anger was caught up for the zeal of the Lord. He was caught up because he was angry that all these people were not honoring God as God. Instead, they had turned God's temple into a den of thieves, a place where people were supposed to come and worship had become a place where people were capitalizing on people as like basically cash cows. And so even in our day today, we've heard conversation where people are using church or using spaces like that as a place to capitalize on people's pain, capitalize on people's uh, like issues so they can be financially stable. This is what Jesus is angry about. And so he flips these tables. Needless to say, all these people are not happy with Jesus. And this is the tension that he's coming back to uh, this space with. We're going to jump down. To verse 1, it says, uh, I mean verse 2, verses 2 through 3. It says, inside the inner city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. So Jesus comes back into this area through the sheep gate to the pool of Bethesda. Which Bethesda means 
a house of mercy. And it says, it was said of this space that crowds of people, sick, blind, lame, or paralyzed, would go to this pool to lie down. Why? Because they believe that if you lie down next to this, like this pool, and for some reason this water gets like shaken, trickled, like you guys have thrown like rocks on like still water, that kind of a deal. They believe that if that water was shaken, trickled, whatever, by, by, by an angel, as they, that was their belief, and if you happen to be there right at that moment and you jumped in, right, freestyle, butterfly, I don't know, whatever, or just rolled in, then you would be healed. And so for years, people who were sick, lame, paralyzed, whatever, would wait at that pool, coming through the, the, the gate of mercy to receive healing, to receive healing. And it says this, that some of the people, uh, well, I'll just jump down again to verse, uh, verse 2. I might just skip. Someone tried to airdrop me something. Turns off airdrop. There we go. Uh, it says this in verse, uh, verse 4. That some, for an angel went down at certain seasons into the pool and troubled the water. Whoever then first, after troubling the waters and stepped in, was made whole of whatever disease he had. Now, I don't know how truthful or honest, but it's kind of like an urban legend. And people like thought about it and think about it and believe it to be a true thing. Kind of like how people talk about coming to our like fall season. People talk about things like vampires and all this different stuff, right? Which I'm not saying they're true. Right? I'm not saying these things are, are, are accurate, but they've become urban lore in our conversation. Like now if I asked you right now, like, how does someone become a werewolf? You might have some ideas. You'd be like, I heard on the internet it said this. All right, praise God for that information. But what's happening here is they're believing that same kind of superstition, that if something happened to this waters, they would jump in. Their whole mercy, their whole hope is based on an angel trickling or shaking this water. So can you imagine how many people are hanging out there? Verse 5 says this, there was a man who was lying there, had been sick for 38 years. So let's back up. There's things we just talked about briefly. We've talked about vampires and werewolves. Like you didn't come to church to talk about that stuff because that's totally random. Because really, you, do you have faith enough to believe that those things are existing? Like Maybe, maybe you do. You're like 12, 13, 15, 16 years of your life. Like you believe those things are true and you're afraid of the dark and you like lived in a certain kind of way because you're afraid of the dark. But imagine for 38 years believing that that would happen. For 38 years, he was lying there. Not 38 years of his life, but for 38 years period, out of however long this guy's been on earth, he was waiting year after year after year after year hoping that this water would shake a certain way and he'd be able to get in and be healed. Now, that's, that's some other level of faith. Now, we can talk about how his, his idea was wrong and how he was believing the wrong thing, but can you imagine 38 years in faith where he's doing it for a lie? Now, today, we're remembering people who passed away, at, you know, because of September 11th. And we talk about how these men actively took steps to learned to fly planes and come into our country. And they flew these planes into these towers. And they did it in faith. And they did it believing a lie. Because they believed that if they did that, they would then have a place in heaven with multiple wives. Like that's, that's their belief system. But they died for a lie. Their religion tied them to a way of life that led to their death. 
and separation from God forever. This man is in the same space. And I would, I, I would caution us to think about these practices and things we do where our faith is not in God, but our faith is in the form. Our faith is in how long I pray, how long I wait, how long I can endure all these things. 38 years this man is lying by that pool. And verse 6 says this, that Jesus knew. It says, when Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? So back up. Jesus is aware of your pain. He's aware of the things you're working through. He's aware of your struggles. He's not unaware. He's not distant. He's not somewhere hunting or taking a nap. He's active in our lives. He is fully cognizant of where you are. And I've said this before, when you don't see the hand of God actively working in your life, you can trust that his heart is for you. Jesus knew that he'd been there, and he asked him this question. Would you like to get well? Which seems weird, right, for Jesus to be asking this question, but let's follow up with his logic. Verse 7, he says, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the waters bubble up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. He goes, for the 38 years I've been here, for all those years I've been here, when the water bubbles up, someone gets in before me. Someone gets in before me. He makes a, an excuse. He makes, and I'm not saying this, this is a, a bad excuse. He goes, dude, I've tried. And this is what religion does to you. Where you are stuck and you're held in this one position for years on end. And there's never any mobility or growth. Have you ever wondered about these people who say, I've been a Christian for 34, 5, 50, 60 years, but still cannot forgive others? Like they're still struggling with letting things go? Like you're like, like, wait, you've been walking with Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the one who died for people's sins, and yet you struggle with, with, with grace given to other people? Like you yourself not receive grace? Religion will hold you in that place and will hinder your growth. And what Christ does, what Jesus does, is, is not attend that pity party. Instead, what does he do? He speaks to him and he commands something in him. And see, all of us are in this space where we are called to respond to the Lord of the universe. We're given an opportunity to respond. And it says in John 5, 8, that Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. He identifies the problem with him. He knows he's been there for a while. And he comes in because he is God, and he says, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, if you've been believing for 38 years, right, 38 years, it's a long time that an angel's going to do something, and then this guy randomly shows up. He's not introduced himself. He just says, hey, pick up your mat and walk. Would you try anything? I'd try something. What? You said just, just do it? In my mind, I think I'll be wrestling to some degree. Like, dude, you don't know my problems. I've been here 38 years. Aaron, you don't know how long I've been struggling with this addiction. This is just a story. Jesus can heal? Like, that's where my, my mind would be. But what he does is respond. Scripture tells us he responds in obedience. He responds in obedience. He gets up. It says, instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. And it says, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath. 
And it's at this point that we begin to see the true purpose of why Jesus healed this man. Now, do I believe that Jesus healed him because he was compassionate? Yes, 100%. Jesus heals out of compassion. Jesus wants to set people free. That's what he came to do. But at this point, we begin to understand why he healed for context in this space. He's healing on the Sabbath because Jesus ultimately wants to save people whose hearts are so hardened and are so far from him. These are people who are lost within the body. And for some of us, we're like that, that kind of a, a people where we are lost and we're inside this body. Where we've heard the stories of Jesus. We've heard of how he heals. We've heard about how he redeems. We talk about small group. We've heard those stories about people being set free. We've heard about things like summer camp where people go and experience the love of God and come back on fire for Jesus. Like you've experienced all these things and now you're so used to it that you're like, that's not God. Or that's, that's not the way. And so now you're, you're so far away from the realities of who God is because now you've hardened your heart because you believe that it's a normal thing. No miracles happen every day. The greatest miracle that Jesus has done is really saving people from their sin. Jesus did this miracle on the Sabbath specifically for the religious people. He did it for those people who were used to being in a small group. For those people who were, because you might be like, this is my context. Like, I'm, this, this whole, like, thing that Jesus does, that's for people out there. That's for people who are in the streets, who are in the clubs. Who, like, the people who gossip at school. No, these things are for you. He came for people like you and I, even the people who are lost within the church, who are lost within the body. It says in John 5.10, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to this man, this man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. So what happens is, homie is healed. He's been lying there how many years? 38 years. 38 years, lying on that, that side of the, uh, of, by the pole, picks up his mat, he's healed. He goes to the temple to go worship God. And the first thing the religious people, the people who are lost in the church say is, you can't work on the Sabbath. No one celebrates that he's free. No one celebrates that, how long have you been there? No one celebrates his, his opportunity to walk again. Not just physically walk, but even to walk spiritually. To walk, to walk. 38 years with no walking. Some of you guys are like, dude, walking's not a big deal. You, like, because you walk to the restroom. You walk. But think about it. Your freedom is tied up in your legs. But no one celebrated his freedom. Verse 11 says this. The man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. And like I said before, Jesus introduced himself to this guy. He walks up, speaks to him, and he just picks up his mat and goes to the temple. And he gets to the temple, and these people like basically ridicule him. And he goes, I don't know who healed me. Some guy told me to do it, so I picked it up, and here I am. Now, for people who have not walked for 38 years, and you see a miracle like that, that's, that's, that's a sign that something is, something is different. Something's, something's new. Something has entered the atmosphere. And again, we've said the point of the book of John, John 20, 31, is that you would know that Jesus is God. They would have to make a decision that this is a miracle. Because they believed, the Jews believed, that sin entered into the world through Adam. And people who get sick, get sick because of sin. And so now, if you've been healed of this physical ailment, that we've seen you there by the pool of mercy. He went to the pool of mercy, the pool of Bethesda to receive mercy. And then he's walking. That means 
something has happened that is godly or God-inclined or God-ordained. Like something has happened there. And verse uh, 12 through 13 says this. This is their response to his, I don't know who did it, but he told me to do it. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. So, who did it? And he goes, I, I, don't, I don't know. Some guy, he disappeared into the crowd. And we see later on why Jesus disappeared. It says this in Acts 4.12. It says that there is salvation in no one else. That no one else can save us. No one else can heal us. Now, he leaves a, like a question mark, a mystery, a time for us to battle with, to think through, to process through. Who actually did this miracle? How did this happen? Kind of like how we come back from summer camp or we come back from like any opportunity to hear the word of God, to worship or worship that we had last week, where some of you guys may be like, was that an emotional moment? Were those just feelings or did I actually feel the presence of God? He gives him an opportunity to wrestle with his thoughts. He gives the religious people an opportunity to see the miracle and to respond. Jesus, like, like, like those people, gives us opportunity to wrestle with our thoughts so we can have full faith. See, yes, God does predestine and put things in forward, but he also allows us to participate in this. Like God gives you a gift to participate in this process. Because yes, for, by definition, for him to be God means he controls all things. Yes, he is God. There's no one above him. But this same God who has all power, all authority says, come in and partner with me. Come even wrestle with me. Come in. That's why we can actually pray and ask God to move on our behalf. It says this in the next verse, in verse 14. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. So in his context, because not every sin, not every sickness, rather comes up because of a sin. But in his particular context, whatever he did led him to have that disease that held him in bondage for at least 38 years. And so Jesus comes and addresses correctly, straightforward, his issue. He says again, now that you are well, stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. He addresses the issue. And I think there's a space where all of us need to become real with ourselves in our walks with Jesus, where when Jesus comes and identifies something in our lives, in our small groups, or in our one-on-ones, or just in the spirit, he just speaks to you and convicts you of your sin, where you say, hey, like, now that he's, he's healed me, he's speaking to me, I, I, sh- I should take this opportunity to use this, this grace, this grace that is not just pardoned from sin, not just fire insurance, but grace is power to live a godly life. The Bible says in Titus that the light of God has shown to all men, teaching them to say no to unrighteousness. He teaches us. It's a process we do day by day. He says, again, so stop sinning. Stop. He's not condemning him. He says, hey, this is, this is the thing. You've been, you've been given a free gift of being, being able to walk and to be, to be healed. So do not walk. Don't give yourself back. To that, in Galatians 5, it says, do not give yourself back to these processes, these religious things that keep you from walking with God. And what they were doing there and what they did here in this context is that people like you and I would become saved, right? We get saved. We trust Jesus. We trust this God of the Bible. 
And then for us then to become Christians, they'd want you to become a Jew first. This goes all the way back to, the, to, to Egypt, where people who left Egypt saw wonders. Can you imagine there's like darkness everywhere and there's only light at Connor and Christian's house? You're like, whoa, how, how did that happen? Like, you, 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 you'd be like, something's going on. We're all in the whole nation of, 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 of Egypt. Everything's going well for the Israelites. Like, you, you'd think twice. And so people left, and they began to worship the God of Israel. But what we did, what these Israelites do, and what we have done sometimes, is that we say, the only way to worship God is by praying five hours. Or the only way to worship God in their context, was to first be circumcised and then become a Christian. Or the only way to walk with Jesus is to X, Y, Z. And so we build all these things and expectations upon ourselves and upon people. But Jesus said the issue is not the, the, the form. The issue is an issue of sin. It's an issue of sin. He wants us to be free from religion, free from stacking things upon ourselves and others so we can worship God truly. In verse 515, we begin to see his response. And I, 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 after reading this, I began to wonder, like, this man get spiritually healed or only physically healed? See, because God, God can do both. But what happened here? Did he, did he take on the free gift of grace? John 5.15 says, Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Now, in my estimation, I think the fact that he went back wasn't like, hey, I know the guy. Let me tell you so you can become his disciples, like we talked about last week. No, 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 no. Like, I believe he went back and he's like, you guys are angry. You... I don't want to be thrown out, the, out, of, out of the church. I don't want to be condemned. It was that Jesus guy. And, and it says in the verses in the chapters after it that after this, this is when Jesus was actively began, people actively began to try to kill Jesus. I think he went and he sold Jesus out. And that's my understanding of the scripture right here. And he denies the opportunity to have real healing. And why do I say it that way? Because I contrast it with our friend who was born blind for the glory of God. We referenced it last week. This is a guy who was born blind. It says, for the glory of God. He gets healed. And his response after getting healed and grilled by all the people, he himself also had never seen Jesus. You remember that? He's, he, he met Jesus blind. Jesus told him, go wash your face in the, uh, in, the, in the pool of Siloam. He spat, you know, got some mud, put it on his eyes, go wash your face. He comes back, never seen Jesus. He, now he can see he's questioned by the same religious people that are questioning this guy. And his response is, dude, don't you guys trust God? Like, can't you recognize that this is God? Are you so blind? Like, he begins to say, you are blind. I was physically blind, but you're spiritually blind. You've not been able to see this Jesus. You don't recognize this Jesus. You're so caught up in your form, in your prayer, in all the things, in your FNL. Like, you forgot, you're forgotten that Jesus is the center of it. And so you glorify all these things and not glorify the gift giver. You don't see himself. You don't see Jesus. This man then, the man who was born blind, he says, again, do you want to be his disciple? And what do they do? They push back against him. They say, no, that's horrible. That's the worst thing. He calls them to an example. I believe that this man, 
who was at the pool of Bethesda, sold Jesus out for his safety, for his complacency. He was used to just being part of the group, being like just sitting in whatever row or whatever, like having his spot at church. He was more comfortable being in that space and saying, I'm willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel. He was willing to, he was not willing to sacrifice his comfort for the sake of Jesus. It says in John 5.10, again, these people said, you can't work on the Sabbath. Jesus in healing this man, yes, was specifically coming to heal him. And he gives him an opportunity. You might say, oh, that's, he was going to the Jews. Sure, sure, he was giving an opportunity for these other people, for the religious people to receive him. But also he was giving an opportunity for him. He comes back to him. In both cases, where the man was born blind for the glory of God, and this case, Jesus comes back. He comes back. And Jesus will always find us. For me, that gives me encouragement to know that Jesus always makes way for me to repent, always makes way, always gives opportunity, is always extending himself to me. I don't have to worry about how far I've gone or how hard my heart has become or if I'm caught up in things. No, I know that Jesus is actively pursuing me. And I have an opportunity to respond with him or to him. He says in Matthew 10, 33, but everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my father in heaven. In Matthew 10, 34, he continues to say, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. He goes, don't be comfortable. I, I came to separate you from your comfortability. And in this case, he lists them as his family, as relationships. He goes, you have to make, and make a decision and count the cost. He says, if you cling to your life, you lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. And in John 5, 16, this is the scripture I talked about. It says, and therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Now, as the worship team comes up, I want to just talk about these things very quickly. It's that as we've walked through these steps for us where we've learned what it means to go on a mission. I mean, we launch, we're launching mission trips, right? You can sign up right now to go on a mission trip. We've launched small groups. You have an opportunity to go and join a small group and join a community. That your heart doesn't become so hard and so pious and so filled with all these opportunities that you forget that God has called you to love him and to love people. That you don't get caught up on, oh, you didn't read your Bible today? And you become judgmental. Because this, this, this is the tension we live in. That as people grow with Jesus, there's a danger where sometimes people then become judgmental. Because they stop following the God of the Bible and they begin to follow the form how to follow him. And this is why we say our, our faith, even when we pray and we have this prayer wall, is, is not in faith. Our, God, our faith is in the God who answers prayer. Or our faith is not in healing. Or that when this person, particular person prays for me, I'm going to like, receive healing. Like all of us have this God amazing given ability to extend his kingdom on the earth. But when we begin to glorify Aaron over a Drew, over a Sophia, over a Jacob, then we begin to fall into idolatry. See, what happens when you become religious is you become idolatrous. Whatever you actually like, put up there as an idol, you eventually like, become your idol and, through, and will actually suck the life from you 
38 years he lied there in hope believing a lie. My encouragement to you is this, that as we jump into this new season where we're going to continue to grow, and I believe that God is doing a new thing in our community, the fact that we have like 149 or 150 questions from you guys from summer camp that are not just questions about like, hey, what's my boyfriend doing? Like, how do I, like, what's the line? Like, your questions are about like, what does it mean to like worship Jesus? How do I read my Bible? Like, your questions are, are bearing evidence that you actually want to move forward in faith with God. My hope and my prayer is that you focus on Jesus as the main thing. To be corny for a second and say how they throw it down in Christmas season, that Jesus is the reason for the season. He's the reason for every season. So let's keep Jesus at the center, at the forefront of our minds as we learn to worship him and as we learn to live and love like him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time. Thank you for um, allowing us to see, Lord God, from John 5, that it's possible for us to have hardened hearts, Lord God, because we've uh, been caught up with a form of worship, Lord God. We've been caught up with uh, what it looks like to uh, worship in a particular way or community, Lord. But you remind us, Lord God, that you are a God who wants us to worship you in spirit and in truth. You're not bound by our form or our structure. You are a God who is indeed willing to fight on our behalf and be present with us in all situations. And so in that, Lord God, help us, Lord God, learn to love you and to love others well, Lord. Because uh, uh, people who are found, found people, Lord God, find other people, Lord God. Help us, Lord God, to be a people who are compassionate like you are towards others. So we thank and we praise you. Use me pray, everybody said. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Calvary HSM podcast. We would love if you could connect with us on social media using the handle at CalvaryHSM805 on Instagram or going to our website, calvarywestlake.org slash HSM. We always have fun things going on and we want you to be a part of our family. God bless.